Our first reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here endeth the first reading. The Holy Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 22nd verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to thee, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Psalm 23. When I was away at my first boarding school, I remember a boy uh, being taken off to hospital uh, to have his tonsils out, a common operation in those days. When he came back, he told us what had happened. He'd been taken into the theater, and the anesthetist had bent over him and said, I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm to you, and before we get to the end, you will have lost consciousness. And that's what happened, and hopefully, before he got to verse 6 and the Psalm finished, he was unconscious and had his operation. Indeed, I hope 
that he'd lost consciousness before he got to verse 4, when he, about, uh, and was reminded about the valley of the shadow of death. So I hope that our reflection on this most well-known psalm will not lead to such a somnolent conclusion today. For it's a truly remarkable psalm. As the com- one commentator points out, it's the favorite psalm of the Jew, uh, of the Eastern Orthodox, of Western Protestantism, and wis- wistful agnostic alike. So to whom is this psalm written? Well, obviously, it is written for the sheep, sheep who lack wisdom. Uh, that lack means that they're rarely looking very far ahead. They don't know where to find uh, the nourishing food. They're vulnerable to many hostile forces which surround them. By themselves, they're liable to become hungry and thirsty, sick, and pray to attack. If the psalmist, in using this metaphor, wanted to describe human society uh, of, or our fallen lives, he couldn't have chosen a more apt illustration. Getting and spending, we lay waste to our powers. What the sheep look for is largely someone who will give them a little more security, a little more cash in their pockets, uh, <clears throat> a health service which will be endlessly available and efficient and clever, irrespective of cost. And they will have little concept of the future, except as an endless continuation of the present. We are, by nature, members of that flock. But David, once overseeing his little flock on the Judean hillside, makes this great and uncompromising statement, the Lord is my shepherd. What other religion has at its heart a claim so simple, so revolutionary? This is to be the eternal relationship between their God and his people, not one of power, but of care and love, the eternal shepherd and his sheep. Of course, it's easy to imagine bad shepherds, those who are negligent and careless, overbearing, cruel, foolish. That indeed is how the Old Testament describes some of the religious leaders of the day. In our fallen world, that fallenness can penetrate and define any relationship from marriage downwards. But the detail of the psalm describes something very different. This shepherd is one who cares. There is a gentleness about him. He has wisdom. He is endlessly generous, furnishing our real spiritual wants and needs. He leads his sheep beside quiet, refreshing waters, and he restores our souls. He guides our paths. The first part of the psalm is an idyll. But the sheep may have to tread a path which is hard and rocky on their journey as they pass through the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. The darkness of ignorance is lightened by his wisdom. 
The darkness of fear is lightened by his power and presence. The darkness of sickness and the end of life by his salvation. Sometimes this dark experience may go on and on, perhaps until death brings an end to pain and frustration. But sometimes there is evil about us as we come under attack or our weakness is explored. Sometimes the darkness may express something sudden and devastating. But this morning we have before us not only Psalm 23, but part of John chapter 10. And I expect you can see already why these two readings are placed together. For John 10 is that great chapter in which Jesus takes, uh, the, takes Psalm 23 and gives it a new meaning and a new application. I am, he says, I am the good shepherd. Look again at Psalm 23 and see it through new eyes. It is Jesus on whom we base our lives, Jesus the shepherd who will feed us and lead us, guide us and protect us, who will restore our souls. And it is Jesus who, if we will make him our shepherd, will in times of adversity enable us to deal with fear and will comfort and support us and be present with us. It is Jesus who prepares a table for us and invites us to his heavenly banquet. I've been reflecting on this psalm over the last week, and uh, uh, particularly in the light of a story which was reported in the Times just before Easter. It concerns a young couple, Millie and Toby, both aged 22, both teachers, and both deeply committed Christians. As it happens, Millie is the daughter of my godson and the granddaughter of a close friend who was our best man. Millie and Toby were on holiday in the, in the paradise island of Santorini, all blue and white, and where the sun never seems to stop shining. Photographs of them on the island show them happy and exuberant. They hired a vehicle and drove to the highest point of the island, and we can imagine their pleasure and delight at the beauty of all that was around them. But at that moment, they lost control of the vehicle, and it fell into the bottom of a ravine, with, of course, them in it. For them, the valley of the shadow of death came from nowhere, and the metaphor became actuality without any warning. They scarcely had a moment of fear, but at the end of their fall, our faith tells us that they found their shepherd awaiting them, arms outstretched and welcoming them to the fullness of a new life. But for their many relatives and friends, it was a moment of desolation in their own valley of the shadow of death. They can only seek the shepherd's presence and comfort. 
Yesterday, I went to the funeral. There must have been some 500 people present, predominantly their own young Christian friends. And one speaker, who was Millie's brother, told of their faith, but confessed that the family were naturally blown apart by this grievous loss. But that is not the end of their story. It's not the end for Millie and Toby, As their lives ended so suddenly in that ravine, they found Jesus there, their shepherd, awaiting them. There will be a table prepared for us at which we are invited and welcomed. It is a hope beyond anything we deserve or expect, hope of life beyond death, in a new environment, beyond fear and darkness, Hope because this shepherd has lived the life of his sheep and emerged uh, triumphant and victorious, having suffered the worst that life can throw at him. Surely he has taken our infirmities and carried our sorrows. The psalm has also always been a challenge. Is he indeed our shepherd? And so in the story of John chapter 10 that was read to us, it's the feast of dedication. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one set apart, called, chosen, and sent into the world. He is the new temple, the new shepherd. Understand, he says, that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. But the Jewish leaders have not found this relationship and don't want to find it in Jesus. That relationship cannot be bestowed on someone because he's learned or belongs to a particular privileged group. On the contrary, it is through humility, through repentance, as they come as sheep to dedicate themselves to the Good Shepherd, that they are known by him and recognize his voice. Those who know him are his sheep and his flock. People, many of little consequence in society, like Simeon and Anna, who saw him as a child and knew already that he was the one that they awaited and could, they could now depart in peace. Or like Mary, his mother, whose spirit rejoiced even before his birth in God, her Saviour. They model for us the humility and love which lead us to the shepherd. So he is our good shepherd. We come to him, we listen for his voice, we live with him, we look to him for our ultimate deliverance, our care, our protection, and our refreshment. He indeed restores our souls When times are hard, when failure or tragedy or darkness surround us and threaten threaten us, fear will not destroy us. We're not promised ease or a life without problems. What we are promised is his presence, his comfort, if he is our good shepherd. He's always there at the side of the sheep and tends to every member of the flock. 
and we have that hope that there is a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. We refresh that hope whenever we meet round his table to be fed by the broken body of the shepherd and cleansed by his poured out blood. Amen.